I'm not sleepy, and there is no place I'm going to. And we are, of course, first and foremost, going to uh, celebrate the birthday this week of the Shat. That's right. <laughs> some people uh, say some people say he's ninety. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he is 90. 90. Although he walks around the nine all the time. I don't know why he does that. It, it's so funny. Anyway, William Shatner is 90 years old as of just a few days before we record this. Yeah. And um, he's in a new movie, uh, oddly enough, which I uh, just reviewed for radio this week. Um, senior moment where 90-year-old William Shatner and uh, 70-something-year-old uh, 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 Lloyd, Chris Lloyd, Christopher Lloyd, who looks 10 years older than William Shatner, they <laughs> are, they are, uh, they're buddies and uh, they drive around in Shatner's sports car ogling young women, which sounds just so not, not me too. And, uh, and Shatner, you know, is a little too reckless, loses his driver's license and winds up meeting Gene Smart, who's only in her 60s. And they have a romance. And yes, yes, folks, there is a scene where William Shatner and Gene Smart, uh, Gene Smart wake up in bed together. Yeah. You, it's the sexiest thing. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. But, uh, you know, he's still got it. The Shat is there. So we are, we're very happy William Shatner has turned 90. Unfortunately, a lot of people younger than Shatner yeah. have, uh, have passed in this last week. And um, some of them only gotta, a little, but nevertheless. We got to start with the great Yafet Koto. Um, um, yeah. Unbelievable character actor. Tim, uh, where do you even start with that career? Look, man, um, uh, Koto, yeah, he, he for, uh, I know, I know I'm always saying this on, on this show and it's irritating for myself too, but I got, but I have to say it again. In the black community, <laughs> this guy coming along when he did, and, I, and he came along. Uh, I mean, we know him as a big old movie star, of course. Uh, when he when he hits town, those Bond movies and all that, all that kind of stuff. But you can you can go back. You you would see Yappet in um, episodes of Rifleman and yeah. uh, Wanted Dead or Alive, The Big Valley. Uh, you know, he was, he was he was a little bit younger than say like Woody Strode. <clears throat> so um, he was he was my father. He was literally my father's generation. He and my father were the same age. Yeah, nineteen thirty nine. Um, so. So in the in the late fifties, middle middle to late fifties, early sixties, he had all he, he coming out of New York, coming out of that stage world in New York. He had he, you can see him in like naked cities and all that kind of stuff. This young, uh, uh, very definitively African American looking black man uh, playing leading men. And dominating sort of figures in all kinds of wonderful television shows. And then, of course, he, he sort of made his way into the movies, uh, had that long run on what was it? What was it? It was, it was Law and Order or, or he, he had the long run on It was Homicide. It was Homicide. And he was basically, and here's the thing I loved about Homicide. Most people didn't realize this. They're like, oh man, yeah, yeah, it is so, he's so good on Homicide. It's so intense. I'm like, you realize. He's playing the same character he played in Across 110th Street. <laughs> yeah. Like, he, that, that's why he's on this show. 
in across 110th Street, he plays just like a force of nature. And and they just said, why don't you just bring that character back and put him on homicide? And that's what they did. Yeah. And it Walking was around in a trench coat. <laughs> like, it, oh, might, it might even be the same trench coat uh, <laughs> uh, with Anthony Quinn. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 of course, um, part of that crew in the wonderful 1979 film uh, uh, Alien, yeah. Uh, oh, he's uh, so good in that. You know, this was this was a this was a this was this movie, and every single character in that movie had to do a thing. They had to take up a they had to take up a whole movie's yeah. worth of space. And Yappet was just a, he was just you know. So so he, there you go, Yappet cooked up. And and you know the great th- the funny thing here you you find stuff out all the time. So I I I grew up with um uh, being good friends with two of Mary Astor's grandkids. Right, they were a little bit older than than I, but you know their mom, who was at one point a very very famous baby during that whole custody battle. Yeah, she was very good friends with my mother and um and and I grew up with with them. And they when I posted my little obit for Yafit on Facebook, um they reached out to me and said, "Did you know that our dad was Yafit's best friend?" Oh, get and out I of said, here! Isn't this, I said, you this is the craziest. I know. I said, I had no idea. They said he, he used to, he like uh, they, our dad and yeah, they were inseparable and he'd come and he'd stay at our house and you know, they got like vacations and the whole thing. Like they were just, they were tight. They were absolutely tight. And, and they said he was just the sweetest, nicest, kindest man, you know, it not, he plays such heavies, right? He got that Emmy nomination for playing Edie Amin and, yeah. and, and he plays a he plays a bond villain. And, you know, he just brought so much weight to his performances, but you know, that's the acting, right? Yeah. And, and they said, just a great guy. And here's a little known, little known thing. I know you'll appreciate too, because you are of the tribe as well. Uh, Yafet Kodo was, uh, his father was a camp, not only a, the crown prince of Cameroon, but he was a Cameroonian Jew. Get the hell out. He's an African Jew like me. That's that. He was. He I did was. Not, I did not know that. I, get, yeah. I did not. I know that yeah, because Jeff was born in New York, but, I, but of course I knew yeah. his, he was a part of an immigrant family. Uh, yep. I don't think I knew it was Cameroon. I thought I believe it was like, who's the good? Cameroon. Cameroonian Jew. Well, not and, and royalty. And royalty, and, and, no and, less. And, which, which explains, frankly, probably where Yafet got that sort of uh, um, uh, presence that he had. Yeah. Um, um, uh, you know, he, he really had this sort of straight up and down regal pre- presence. That was just a hell of a thing to watch in movies, man, for it's a beautiful thing. Years and years. Beautiful and years thing. And years. Yeah. George Siegel, George Siegel, man, let's, let's talk about George Siegel for a second. I'm, I mean, you know, I, I honestly think even if you look at something like who's afraid, afraid of Virginia Wolf, where, He's on screen with two of the big heavyweights of all time. Like he is literally sitting there refereeing, mm. you know, uh, Burton and and uh, uh, Elizabeth Taylor. But uh, you know, I I almost would say he was the best thing in every movie he made. Yep, 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 yep. Look, I mean, George. For one thing, this is another long career guy. George, George, his whole his career was sixty years long. Six yeah. decades long, incredible. Uh, from 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 the from sort of like the birth of television, where where you can find George Siegel again, and you can see him in Naked Cities and 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 Play of the Week and all that sort of early television stuff in the early sixties. Um, uh, all that daytime television, you know, uh, you, you, yeah. George Siegel. He had this really interesting sort of arc to his career when when he was a, a sort of youngish man, maybe you know, late twenties to early thirties, early forties. He played a lot of rogues, dashing characters, guys, yeah. guys with guns, sassy guys, him and uh, Elliot Gould um, yeah. wandering around in these movies, you know, playing sexy guys, you know. And uh, uh, and then as he got a little bit older, he saw he saw he switched to sort of like comedy and stuff. One of Denzel Washington's 
first big films is opposite George in Carbon Copy, about 1980. Right. Uh, right. Playing George's uh, uh, yeah. uh, bastard son or whatever you want to call it. And it was just, yeah. and it's just an absolutely hysterical movie. And then, you know, uh, you just sort of like follow that career on up. And he's just one of those guys uh, that's always been there and working right over, over there on the Goldbergs on that sitcom. I know. Just the funniest thing. These are him, Jerry Stiller. There are a few of them. Uh, yeah, that just you know stick around. They never went away, and they never he stuck stopped. around. I mean, he was so funny on the Goldbergs. He was so funny on Just Shoot Me. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I mean, he he and David Spade had scenes there that just absolutely tore me apart. Just tore me apart. They were just so funny. Um, I mean, it, so many great movies in the seventies. He was just iconic. Bloom and Love, the Paul Mazursky oh, film. Yeah. Um, you know, the Hot Rock. Uh, so many amazing movies. Uh, you know, the owl and the pussycat with Streisand. I mean, it's just, and, and even though he's always sharing the screen with big stars, bigger stars. Yeah. If you talk to people after they've seen the film, what was your favorite scene? They're always going to come up with a George Siegel scene. <laughs> They're always going to come up with a George Siegel scene because he was just so natural and he had so much fun with it. And he's, and you know, he's just, he, he never tried to be something he wasn't, but he was always everything that he could be. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I, I'm going to miss him. I'm going to miss him terribly. So he became he a movie a- star without being a movie star. As, yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's just, yeah. And those were those were going to be our only two obits until about uh, five hours ago. And uh, just today we lost two more. And the first one, I, I was I was in the grocery store and my phone buzzed. And, you know, usually when the phone buzzes, I expect to see something like, you know, high wind warning. Uh, Joe Biden signed something, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, a high speed chase. I don't expect to see Bertrand Tavernier has died. Yeah. And uh I'm starting to tear up again. Um, And I just sat there and I started crying in the middle of the grocery store. Uh, I met Tavernier. Gosh, it's got to be close to 20 years ago at the, at the Colcoa festival where I meet all the French people. But you know, the, the thing about Tavernier was there was no pretense. He started as a publicist. He became a film critic. He was an assistant to Jean-Pierre Melville. And he, he came from the same place we come from. Right. He wrote about movies. He grew up loving movies, working on movies. Oh, when he sorry. finally. Oh, it's all good. What the hell and is going it, on? Uh, I opened the window and the thing was still low. We'll just pick it up. That's okay. Uh, we'll pick it up. And, you know, he, he came from loving movies and uh, he, um, he, he was, he, 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 there was no like, I'm a big filmmaker. He was just a guy that loved movies and he would love to talk to you about movies. And he, he had this great passion for them. He knew the history of movies philosophically. He would, he could get into all of these nuances that would just blow your mind. And, and on top of that, the guy made like two or three dozen movies, feature films, and they're all great. And they're all over the place. They're period films and they're crime films and there's, um, you know, comedies and, and it, it's just, it's amazing. I, I, I mean, people, if, if somebody were to ask me, what's your favorite Bertrand Tavernier film? I wouldn't even know what to tell them. I mean, round midnight is one that everybody pays attention to. Oh, but yeah, then there's man. stuff like, there's yeah. little stuff like fresh bait yeah. and L627, which I just love. Oh, so, don't, uh, you know, Cap- look in the, in, in, he had that run in the middle nineties. Oh, uh, it all starts today, and, and I think you were about to say Captain. Oh, and, 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 and yeah. you know, it's just uh, of, of these just absolutely uh, breathtaking movies. Our our um, our uh, Lafka colleague Ray Green 
uh, said something in an email between us today about about yeah. how he understood um, how he approached the cinema with a certain sort of dignity uh, uh, of French cinema. And um, I, but he wasn't. Um, uh, I, I don't know. It, it was just it was beautiful. He he saw the world in its reality, but he could see the beauty the beauty and the poetry That's in it, it too. Um, but he didn't. But he didn't let that. He, he didn't let the poetry become sort of saccharine. Uh, yeah. You know, you, we, you had to be there in the world too. Uh, and it's just really, really wonderful filmmaker, man. It, it all starts today. I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, it all starts today, which is which is um, one of the many films that he made with Philippe Torreton, who also plays in Captain Conan. But it all starts today is about a guy who's a teacher at a really, really rough school on the outskirts of Paris. And yeah. for those who, who don't know, you know, in European cities, it's a little bit the reverse of American cities. In American cities, we talk about the inner city, that the city gets rougher as you sort of get to the center. And in European cities, it's the opposite. The rough yeah. areas are the suburbs. They're, they're on the outskirts of the town, right? Like Paris. And this is one of the, a guy who's teaching, trying to teach these, these kids, mostly immigrant kids in a really, really rough suburb of Paris and um, dealing with the parents and dealing with poverty and dealing with domestic strife and with all the baggage and it's just it, it there's so much brutality in the film and so much humanity at the same time and that's the thing that was just so amazing is that he he could look at the brutality and find the humanity in it and vice versa without letting the one make you cynical about the other yeah. and it, it, it's really it, it was it's just there's a majesty to his filmmaking that i'm just going to so miss yeah yeah man uh, and then our our last one, Jessica Walter. Wow, uh, you know, I didn't I didn't see that one coming. Um, no, well, you know, Jessica was eighty uh, uh, years old. Uh, they, I think the oldest of the um, uh, uh, ninety. Um, uh, yep. Well, Shad, he's still here. I think I think uh, Yappin was eighty one, eighty two, eighty three. So. You know, I don't know. It's, yeah. just, it's really kind of funny that uh, you know, I, I just you just think these people are going to go on forever. You look. Um, she on Archer just in recent years, just pl playing the Mallory Archer, the voice of his mother. She's just yeah. absolutely hysterical. Um, uh, I, again, just that long, long career that goes back to forever. Play um, Misty for me with that pivotal, pivotal for, uh, performance uh, and in uh, that Clint Eastwood movie. Uh, uh, what was it? Play Misty. Play Misty. Play Misty for yeah, me. yeah, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. look, man, I'm old enough to remember a young, fine as hell Jessica Walters. Yeah. Love American style, <laughs> you yeah. know, in mini skirts and stuff. You know, that's, yeah. how, that's how long I, I you know, and you can watch these things, but that's how long her career was, has been, was tremendous. just this tremendously wonderful career. That, you know, goes back to the fifties. Uh, not unlike George, there she she too popped up in some naked cities and 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 and, and all those sort of daytime soap operas. And I don't know, it's just there there are certain actors, certain performers that I just cannot remember when they weren't a part of the landscape. And they never yeah. stopped being a part of the landscape. And, uh, and, and that's what sort of makes it a little bit tough with some of these folks. I, I agree. I, and, you know, it's funny with Jessica Walter also, uh, I, her brother, for those who don't know, is the, the very famous screenwriting guru, Richard Walter, mm. who was one of my teachers at UCLA and, and is quite a character. Um, I will, I will, I will certainly never forget my sessions with him, having him critique my script. Uh, it, it was, uh, it was priceless, but Richard, of course, a very colorful character. And, uh, I know he's, he's hurting right now too, mm. cause he, he really loved his sister. And, um, so my, my heart goes out to them all. 
um, and all their loved ones, uh, really great people that we've lost. But anyway, real Just quickly, some wicked legacies, all these people. And I always try to, try to try to remember these people, wicked legacies across 110th Street, literally on uh, television, broadcast television over there in Heroes Tiger three days ago. <laughs> you know, I'm know. watching across 110th Street with Yaffet. So I'm like, you know what? Still, he's still right there. He's right there. Uh, and, and I was, and it's funny because literally the day before he passed, I, I woke up and I was thinking about him. Uh, it's just you know like you have those thoughts i was i was just sitting there just thinking damn i really i kind of i, I kind of want to see a yafit koto movie right now it's funny i, I want to hear that voice i want to hear that that gravelly voice you know you just sometimes like you just want it you, I'm, I'm, and so i went and i threw alien on just to just to watch him in some of those scenes it's, it's you know sherman our buddy sherman augustus uh you know notable actor sherman augustus uh, we do these auditions and whatnot for stuff and and sometimes we'll say let's let's hit it with a yafit koto you know, yeah. as he's trying to work out the character and all that. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's do a, a Yappin' Kodo. And, uh, and it's just a sort of, a sort of thing that he brought. Uh, and, um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's yeah. a snap. Uh, there we go. Well, let's talk about the real quickly before we move on. Uh, we were probably going to spend a lot of time on the Oscar nominations, which we didn't cover last time. Uh, I, I'm not sure there's a whole lot <laughs> there to cover. What were your thoughts on the on the noms? Well, you know, um, uh, so, so as usual, eight slots in that best picture. Uh, yeah. I, mean, uh, when, I mean, 10 slots, eight films nominated, right? Yeah. So two slots left open and Ma, neither Ma Rainey nor One Night in Miami are nominated. I was kind of surprised that that, to be yeah, honest, with, with, with two slots open, you, you, you know how the math of it all works and how that can, yeah. can happen. And I, it's, it's, it's super duper complicated, but I, at the end of the day, though, to my mind, with, particularly with two slots open, I don't, I, I, you know, I can't fathom how those two films are not nominated. Uh, would have been great to have Regina King, um, uh, you know, uh, as a third woman nominated in the best director area. I was a little surprised I, by Thomas, uh, uh Venterberg. I was shocked by Vinterberg because yeah. it's, 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 I like that movie, by the way. I liked it more than you, but, but yeah, I don't, but really care I didn't think it was I didn't, best director. I didn't think, well, but that's the thing. Like Vinterberg has made movies in the past where I thought, Oh, you deserve a best director for that. This is not one of them. No, really. A movie about a, a movie about a gun, bunch of guys getting drunk and seeing how drunk they can get and still function is really not like a directorial challenge. I mean, there's nothing amazing about that filmmaking. So, I'm inclined to look at all these nominees and look, I nomad land, Chloe Zhao. Good for you. You're going to win best picture and best director. And it's going to be, you know, breaking the ceiling and all the rest of that. But although my you know, Nori, I think because of things uh, in the region yeah. might have a, might have a, have a might shot. have not, a not, not that it shouldn't, but, uh, but, it, but uh, it's it a better film. A, yeah, yeah. It's a better film, but, but in a non COVID year, would this field look like it looks? And I don't think it would. I think, you know, Promising Young Woman and, 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 uh, and, and Fennel, I mean, okay. I, but I don't know that that would be in the mix in any other year, you know? Mm. Um, so I, I, I just, I feel like people are probably going to look, it's going to be the lowest rated Oscars in history, like all the other awards shows. Yeah. It's going to be really very detrimental to the Academy. And I think it's going to be somewhat detrimental to a lot of the films as well. I think there's going to be a lot of soul searching despite COVID um, over the fact that this is just not a very interesting field. I mean, Nomadland is, is, is likely to go down as one of the most unremarkable best picture winners in history. And let's face it, Nomadland's probably going to win. It's almost certainly going to win. It won the Producers Guild. So, um, but, you know, um, we're not even talking about Mank, which is the most nominated film. It's got 10 nominations. Is it going to win any of them? 
Well, you know, well, there you go. It's, it's, it, it, you, Mank is the, is, the, is the, I suppose, one big, big, well, maybe the trial of Chicago stuff, but, 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 uh, but a sort of traditional, um, Hollywood, yeah. uh, expect to have a nomination film. Um, I'm a little surprised at News of the World. Uh, I am too. And, and Tom Hanks and Paul Greengrass, uh, are not that. It's really, really good film. I know it's a big, gigantic Hollywood film. Yeah. But on the other hand, really difficult film to see. You know, it it, yeah. it, it, it just wasn't. It, I mean, you can go see it, and you can go see it right now. There, you know, but but it's also just not there in 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 the places where people go see these films. If it were, if it were playing over at Amazon Prime, for instance, yeah, um, um, like 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 one night in Miami, uh, and you didn't have to go to a sort of special platform to see it. I think more people would have saw News of the World. Now I know all the Academy people saw it, uh, but the but the Academy is sometimes influenced by the things that people are talking about. Uh, and the things that people are talking about include Nomadland and Minori, uh, and yeah. you know, and 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 and, and, and a few other things. For whatever reason, people were not talking about those two Tom Hanks films this year. Greyhound being the other one. And yeah. then, well, then, I think news. Yeah. I, the, I was real. I was surprised that that the the big surprises for me was, in fact, what you pointed out that there was not more love for News of the World, for Ma Rainey, and for One Night in Miami. Mm. Those were kind of three traditional Oscar kind of films that I thought would have more love. And and they didn't, but, uh, you know, um, there it is. Well, let's let's move on. I got I got a ton of uh, uh, Warner Archive collection uh, manufacture on demand MOD titles here on Blu-ray. They have, of course, migrated this entire line to Blu-ray. Thank goodness. And it is it's just great. So I'm going to I'm going to roll through some of these. Um, Tim, I'm going to let you kind of prep the the next segment. Okay. First up, uh, 1946 Best Picture winner, the best years of our lives. Mm. Uh, produced by Samuel Goldwyn, directed by the great William Wyler, one of his uh, uh, several Best Picture winners. And uh, really, absolutely, you know, William Wyler won, f- uh, he was nominated, actually, for Best Director more than any other director in history. And uh, this is one good reason why. The homecoming scene in this thing is one of the best directed scenes you will ever see in your life. In your life. It is an amazing movie. Basically, an ensemble film about uh, the aftermath of World War II. Yeah. And uh, it's just an absolutely superb film. Amazing performances. It is it is a much grittier film than you would expect for the period. After all the propaganda movies during the war, all washed away, and it's, it's just it's just a, an absolutely spectacular film. It's been out many times previously on DVD, finally out on Blu-ray, and it includes a uh, great introduction by Virginia Mayo and an interview with Virginia Mayo and uh, 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 Jessica Wright, um, and then. Um, uh, let's see. Or I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Teresa Wright. What am I saying? Teresa Guess Wright. Right. Yeah. Teresa Wright. I'm my head's moving too quickly. Uh, Ronald Coleman, my father's favorite actor of all time in Charles Dickens, a tale of two cities. Uh, this is an absolutely wonderful movie. I used to watch this all the time on television when I was a kid, every time it would show up directed by Jack Conway. I mean, yes, it's dated, but, uh, you're, you know, it's not a perfect adaptation, but it is an absolutely great showcase for Ronald Coleman and everything that he could do as an actor produced by the, uh, the legendary David O. Selznick, mm. of course, that also on Blu-ray, yeah. um, Clark Gable and Jeanette McDonald in another movie that I used to watch all the time on TV when it showed up, uh, San Francisco, because it was all about the San Francisco earthquake. Yeah. Basically, uh, you know, Clark Gable and a whole lot of, uh, melodrama set against the backdrop of the, the devastating San Francisco earthquake. And it's, uh, you know, it's soapy and it's a little mawkish, but it, 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 the, honestly, the, 
the action stuff in this, the recreation of the uh, the earthquake and all that, is very very impressive, and uh, it got a whole bunch of love at the uh, box office, and I believe at the Oscars too. Spencer Tracy also shows up in this, so yeah. that's uh, that's not that's not a bad film either. Um, Baby Doll. Directed by Elia Kazan, adaptation of uh, Tennessee Williams with Carl Malden and Carol Baker and Eli Wallach. Um, pretty edgy, pretty yeah, great. man, uh, for that time, are you kidding me? It sure was, wasn't it? It was Elia Kazan going full Elia Kazan. Uh, Eli Wallach is so good in this in particular. I mean, this is, you know, Malden and Carol Baker doing whatever they do, but... Uh, you know, Eli Wallach, one of the, another one of those guys, right? Like we talk about, uh, you know, George Siegel and yeah. Yamakoto. I mean, the character actors who just brought the heavy. Eli Wallach, another one of those guys. Really yeah. terrific. So that's on Blu-ray. Also, uh, a wonderful performance by Kirk Douglas as Young Man with a Horn. Uh, really amazing performance. Lauren Bacall and Doris Day and uh, an appearance by Hoagie Carmichael in this as well. Um, you know, it, it, story of a, of, of a, you know, a trumpeter who, you know, goes through the ringer in life, kind of like, I don't know, Raging Bull is it playing a trumpet. Yeah. Is a fair way to kind of characterize this. Um, pretty great. Michael Curtiz directed kind of a, a really good classic, uh, old Hollywood melodrama and, uh, based on a very, very famous novel by Dorothy Baker, uh, Big, big hit at the time, kind of uh, really added to Kirk Douglas's star. Tennessee Johnson with Van Heflin, Lionel Barrymore, and uh, Ruth Hussey. Um, you know, period, uh, period bio melodrama uh, from 1942. Um, Van Heflin, uh, you know, not, not the biggest star at the time, but very, very uh, solid. And uh, this is all about Andrew Johnson, who would eventually become uh, vice president under Lincoln and mm. then president after Lincoln. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, uh, not exactly a biopic I would make today. I mean, Andrew Johnson, not exactly a <laughs> not, not a heroic figure, <laughs> not a heroic figure by any means. But, you know, it's it's why, you know, I mean, it's an, it's an interesting story. It's an interesting life. It's a historical, he's a historical figure. So, you know, and it's yeah. Still, yeah, that counts, too. Here's what it is. History's history is <laughs> history. Uh, Cary Grant and Betsy Drake in Room for One More, which is which is cute. Uh, you know, it's not not Cary Grant's best film, but if you're a Cary Grant completist, you want to take a picture, uh, take a take a look at it. Uh, likewise, Jimmy Stewart along with Margaret Sullivan uh, in The Mortal Storm, uh, also based on a very very famous novel. Not not exactly you know an all time great, but uh, good for completists. Uh, Bert Wheeler and Robert Woolsey in Kentucky Colonels. This is one of those programmers that was, uh, kind of a, they were kind of a thing, you know, they were, they were a team, Wheeler and Woolsey, uh, Spanky McFarland from, uh, from Little Rascals yeah. shows up in this as well. The movie would kind of be a forgettable sort of comedy slapstick thing of the day if not for the fact that it was directed by George Stevens. Yeah. So this was one of those early George Stevens movies that make that's that's worthwhile if you if you just want to kind of catch up on his career. Uh Sunrise at Campobello with Ralph Bellamy and Greer Garson uh and Hume Cronin by the way. The um the only reason I really think this film and this is a nice kind of early Technicolor thing from uh uh like not too early. It's, I mean it's 1960s. But um what I really like about this is the fact that it has Gene Hagen in it. Oh, and yeah. Gene Hagen just slays me. We watch her all the time in, 
singing in the rain. I can't stand him because my daughter just absolutely <laughs> loves that. And uh, anyway, she is terrific in this. She's really, really good. And uh, this thing got a bunch of Oscar nominations. Uh, Greer Garson, you know, was a huge hit in this thing. So Sunrise at Campobello. Um, worth, worth checking out. Uh, it's a, you know, I think this was originally a, a stage production. Um, and then we've got The Reluctant Debutante with Rex Harrison and Kay Kendall, um, also starring a very young John Saxon and an incredibly young Sandra Dee. Um, this is another one of those uh, late 50s, early 60s kind of um, melodramas. It's, uh, you know, uh, it's okay. It's a little bit, it's a little bit drawn out, but um, I like it because it was directed by Vincent Minnelli and he mm-hmm. handles his cast very nicely. Vivian Lee and Robert Taylor in Waterloo Bridge, um, which was the first thing she did after Gone with the Wind. And it was okay. Um, basically a war story during the war. It was what we were talking about earlier. Kind of one of those propaganda pieces, a little bit of a, a romantic melodrama, to, you know, rah-rah and all that. Mm. Uh, uh, directed by Mervyn Leroy. Just a few more here in this one. Holiday Affair with Robert Mitchum and Janet Lee. Yeah. Uh, you know, Robert Mitchum uh, not being quite so gruff here, being a little bit more uh, more romantic for a moment. Roy Del Ruth, another uh, good solid programmer director over at Warner Brothers at the time, one of their stock directors, uh, directed It Happened on Fifth Avenue with uh, a, a cute cast that included, you know, Charlie Ruggles and uh, Don DeFore and Gail Storm and Harding. Um, it, it, you know, kind of a, not a, not a great film, but if you're, it, it's a nice little representative of the, um, of, of the period of the, you know, these, these kinds of, uh, these kinds of, you know, sort of light comedies from the period. Um, it happened on fifth Avenue and then three more here, the opposite sex, which was a, uh, a kind of a, I don't want to say scandalous when it was made. But uh, it's sort of, you know, late 50s. It's sort of on the cusp of the sexual revolution. And uh, it, it's, um, it's, it's touching on a lot of these, these issues. It's uh, basically a remake of The Women with an amazing cast. that includes June Allison, Joan Collins, Anne Sheridan, Ann Miller, and Dolores Gray. Mm-hmm. You're seeing this for the cast, really. Um, very much an artifact of its time, but it still, it still uh, ages pretty well. Libeled Lady with uh, Gene Harlow, William Powell, Myrna Loy, and Spencer Tracy. I got to tell you, I mean, this is just one of those one of those really, really classy uh, character pieces. You're watching this for the four, you know, for the four actors, just watching them to do their comic timing and their their routines. And it's just, it, it, you know, it's very written. It's very much kind of theatrical, but uh, it's one of those society comedies. Uh, they just don't get much better unless you're talking about. William Powell and Myrna Loy in a Thin Man movie. <laughs> and uh, that's the last one here, After the Thin Man, uh, with William Powell and Myrna Loy doing what they do so incredibly well. And, uh, you know, Nick and Nora, they're just, there's there's nobody like them in the movies. I hope they never remake these films because they're just absolutely I perfect. cannot imagine uh, um, Powell and, and Loy, I, 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 I cannot imagine whom, what team, 
uh, some some producer who would deign to do this. I know. Uh, would, I know. Would, would think would be the team that could do could pull that off because you know it's, it's it's not it's them. It's the nature of the thing. A lot of that has to do with the air itself. It's sort of fast talking, sharp, bon yeah. vivant, sort of dynamic that exists. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure you can take that and transfer it uh, to a, nah. a contemporary sort of setting in the first place. But say, let's just even if they wanted to to leave it set in the 30s, I haven't. I, I can't think of any 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 team because that's what that they were. Either. Of course, they were a team. Yeah. Um, yeah. um, they, you know, in the same way that Astaire and Rogers were a team, only they just didn't happen to oh, dance. They danced with their timing word. was just timing. So amazing. Yeah. So it's I can't, so it doesn't, I don't think you can't get there from here. <laughs> it's, it's one you of can't. those. You can't get there. You from here. cannot, you cannot. So, uh, got a few others here that I'll touch on later, but let's, let's jump into some, uh, some TV. Well, well some yeah, TV? if you don't mind, I'm going to holler, uh, talk about that Lovecraft, <clears throat> uh, oh, yeah. um, um, uh, which was really, really great. Uh, uh, a series uh, that came from Misha Green uh, adapting the novel. I forget who, yeah, the, who the, where the, the, the novel came from um, uh, for the first season of Lovecraft, which was just really, really excellent. I watched the entire thing. Um, it, it was wonderfully well conceived. Um, it, it, it accounts for the sort of Lovecrafting and dynamic that one expects from a series that's, that's hearkening to, to Lovecraft. None of these things are Lovecraft stories, by the way. Um, uh, they're not. Well, that's why it's called. That's why it's called Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country. Country. It's, it's, yeah. it's all like a nature of a thing. But what it re, what it's really doing is going is going a little bit deeper into the nature of the thing and looking at some of those stories, those Lovecraft stories, and some of the characters, some sort of Lovecraftian characters pop up uh, uh, in, in in this series too. But it's you know, but it's looking squarely at Lovecraft and in the nature of those st- stories and who Lovecraft was. Race is an issue because race was an issue in the dynamic that. That, that Lovecraft was working in um, uh, all those years ago, and uh, and it's just really really good work. Jonathan Majors, um, um, he's just he's, he's just one of these wonderful actors. Um, that huge, just really huge career. He's he, just he's got a huge career. He's got a huge nowhere career. there he is. You know. Yeah, I say he came from nowhere. He didn't. He was in the last, well, it was the last black man in San Francisco, uh, what yeah. two or three years ago, or something like that. And it, it really, but he's 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 got it. He between that, I mean, this is so different, and he has so much range and so much subtlety. I think he's one of those. He's one of those actors we're going to see for a long time doing a lot of different things. Yeah, I mean, he's going to win an he's going to win an Oscar one yeah. day for yeah. sure. Yeah, for sure. Now that's a it's a it's a really really terrific series, and uh, I am looking forward to. Uh, seeing where all of these people go in the future. Um, I want to make quick mention of The uh, Legend of Korra, mm-hmm. which is now out in the uh, Complete Series Blu-ray Steelbook Collection. Uh, this has been out, of course, before, but this is really a nice box. Like, Legend of Korra, if you like it, you know, it's an animated show. It's Nickelodeon. It's kind of quasi-anime. Um, and uh, all the extras that have been out previously, all the audio commentaries and all of the, the featurettes, it's all here in four absolutely fantastic steel books in a single slip cover. It's really, really nice. This is an unbelievably great gift for somebody that, um, that really, really wants this show. Um, you know, the show, the show has a kind of a lingering following. So really, really good on Paramount for doing that. This is a really, really nice set. The Undoing, uh, David E. Kelly's, uh, series, uh, with Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant. It's so, it's so funny. I think about this series, uh, 20 years ago, 20, 25 years ago, uh, uh, Grant and, and Kidman and, and all of this, this would, this would have been a major motion picture, um, uh, uh, 20, 25 years ago. It works just as well, perhaps even better as a series. 
uh, the way it's sort of structured and laid out is one of those uh, who the hell did I marry sort of movies. Nicole Kidman, uh, Hugh Grant, this married couple, uh, very important people uh, with all kinds of things going on. He may or may not uh, be a killer. Uh, great cast, Edgar Ramirez, uh, uh, Lily Robbie, and, and, and just, you know, really, really good stuff here. Uh, and, and, and I like the way, I like the way it's, it's, it's a David, it's, it's real David E. Kelly sort of, sort of dynamic, uh, there. Uh, but it's both Kidman and Grant doing that thing that Grant can do so well. Funny that he started, you know, as a young actor, he was sort of handsome, brash, funny, bumbling, curly haired, uh-huh. floppy haired, uh, uh, goofball Englishman. And now he plays these perfectly Menacing, uh, uh, you know, the bad guys. And uh, it's just it's really, really interesting, again, to have seen a career uh, sort of grow into the thing that's grown into. And see, I was I was going to ask you, do you think Hugh Grant is a better actor today than he was when he was allegedly a big star? Oh, he's he's far and away a better actor today. Yeah, and, he's you, so you, much you, more interesting. You're so much more interesting. Like uh, I exactly. like compare as much as I love for weddings, a funeral and Notting Hill and all that stuff. But yeah, and he, I, I, I find him so much more interesting now yeah. as an actor. Yeah. And you know, look, that guy was charming and lovely and, and all this yeah. stuff, but he was basically the same guy, nine months, all of those movies, same yeah. guy for 10, yeah. 15 years. Yeah. These, yeah. these, these guys to these planes for the last five or 10 years are really, really interesting, deep characters. It's funny what happens. I say this all the time and I don't really mean it as a, in a, in a pejorative sort of way, cause I'm approaching 60, but it is funny. <laughs> what happens to an actor's career when the pretty goes away yeah when the pretty well, goes away then they can start acting yeah nobody's no, nobody's nobody's tuning in to see your face anymore that's so <laughs> true and now bur- now you gotta actually do it it's 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 almost like it's a burden to be attractive yeah. in some respects yeah you know? you know and it's true of men and women i know we we talk about this vis-a-vis you know women all the time the sort of burden of being a young beautiful ingenue and growing into an older but let's not forget nicole kidman here and hugh grant are about the same age uh and she's yeah, and she's right. bringing it pretty hardcore in this in this series too undoing good stuff uh, I got four here real quickly from National Geographic. Uh, Secrets of the Zoo, season four. I'm going to tell you right now, it's no different from seasons one through three. It's, <laughs> you're still, uh, it's not. It's Secrets of the Zoo. You're not going to be like, oh, my gosh. You know, I didn't realize after the, after three seasons there were more secrets to the zoo. So it's just zoo. There's no secrets. Um, Auto Masters, uh, which is, you know, I mean, uh, this is probably more uh, more Tim speed than mine. I uh, cars are a mystery to me. You, <laughs> you, you, you always, uh, you know, you come from car people, and and you guys always are like magicians to me. You're like, oh yeah, all you got to do is just unscrew that and screw this. I'm like, you might as <laughs> really, you might as well be talking about astrophysics as far as I'm concerned. Uh-huh. But anyway, Auto Auto Masters, I really love these guys. They uh, they they just they they make it seem easy and fun. Uh, and then uh, Science of Stupid Ridiculous Fails is now in its eighth season. I can't believe this is on National Geographic. Th- th- basically, this is just like st- the stupidest home video stuff. Uh, it- it- it's astonishing how dumb some people are and the crazy stuff that they do. But anyway, um, this th- the only thing that sets this apart from stupidest home videos or whatever that damn show is called <laughs> is that-, that whereas those other shows look at people doing stupid things and laugh and go, he was so dumb. These guys say, now, what did he do wrong? Well, he disregarded the laws of physics. And then they explain to you exactly why people do stupid things. And it, you don't quite laugh at them so much. And then inside North Korea, the next leader um, uh, is actually kind of interesting and scary. This is all done in the aftermath of uh, Kim Jong-un's 
relatively recent disappearance. And uh, it's sort of assuming, okay, he's eventually going to go. The guy's obese and not in good health and he smokes and the whole thing. So when he kicks it, what's going to happen? And I'll tell you, nobody really knows, but boy, is it scary, all the scenarios. Yeah. Man, um, a couple therapy. Uh, it's it's a sort of documentary s- series. Uh, this is season one of uh, couples who are actually in couples uh, therapy. Four, there were four in, in season one, and it's a very very sort of legitimate sort of couples therapy sort of documentary. I, that first one, when I when I first started watching, I thought it was going to be one of those sort of reality show things. You know, oh, we're in reality, but no, no, no. This is this is very straightforward. This these this is much more uh, like I said, a, a documentarian than than a reality show, and we sort of follow them. Sort of sort of very important, very famous, very noted, I should say. Uh, um, uh, therapist, uh, Dr. Arnor Golinka, and uh, we watch these couples with all sorts of things going on in their relationships. They're cu- couples at different stages in their relationships, uh, these four couples. And uh, and, and it's actually, it's, it, it was actually very sort of interesting to watch this. I'm not a big fan of, of um, folks who are dealing with all sorts of personal and intrapersonal and interpersonal sort of dynamics in their relationships and whatever, taking those things on into the public sphere. I've never been a fan of that, you know, with Dr. Phil and all that stuff. You know, to, to my mind, these things, you know, there's a reason for doctor-patient conf- confidentiality, uh, and and it and which is why you probably shouldn't have a TV camera in the room uh, when you're yeah. doing therapy. Uh, so I've always <laughs> had, had a real serious time dealing with that. Ethical dilemma. A big time, you know. Uh, but there is a, but there is a sort of fly on the wall, almost sort of uh, Fred Wiseman sort of dynamic to this uh, that I think that, you know, maybe some people can glean something from. Anyway, couples, couples therapy, season one. Not bad, not bad at all. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of pretty and a lot of weird going on in the next one to you. The first one is uh, VH1's RuPaul's Drag Race, the Vegas Review. Uh, look, I, I do have a soft spot for drag queens. I will admit no, that. I think too. it's, it's kind of a, I think it's kind of an, an unheralded art form that gets lost in the culture of, of, um, transvestitism and all the other stuff around it. Let me just tell you, there is really something, uh, uh, there's a, there's a very, very famous drag queen, uh, known as, uh, Varla Jean Merman. I forget the guy's real name, yeah. but Varla Jean Merman is the persona, which is allegedly the love child of Ernest Borgnine and Ethel Merman, who were married for like a week. It's very, it's, it's funny. They went on honeymoon and decided they hated each other and came back and got the whole thing annulled. And you would think, why would those two people ever? It's very funny. So anyway, he created the persona of Varla Jean Merman who started a movie called Francesca Page, which I was was being sold at Cannes one of the years I was there in the 90s. And there was a whole, at one of the parties there, uh, he put on a whole drag show. And it was spectacular. And afterwards, we went in the tent, and I got a little peck on the cheek, <laughs> uh, complete, with, complete with all, the, all the, the five o'clock shadow underneath the makeup. It was very funny. Uh, so I do have a soft spot for drag queens. I do think it's, it's kind of a remarkable art. Not for children. For crying out loud, drag queen story time. No, we don't do that. But, you know, that's that. I get why that's upsetting to people. But nonetheless, drag shows are kind of an amazing American art form and tradition. And I do, I do like what RuPaul has done with this in the Vegas Review. Um, and oddly enough, these men drag, dragging it up as women are very often more attractive than the men who are men and the women who are women in America's next top model. 
which I get is a thing. And these are beautiful people, but sometimes you can just be a little bit too beautiful. You know what I mean? Uh, cycle, tw- cycle 21 and cycle 22, uh, which are both uh, out now on uh, DVD. Um, of interest, I think, primarily to people who want to go into modeling and yeah. not because it will show you how, but because it will convince you to do something else because it's a pretty rough business. It is you know? nuts to me that that show has been around since 2003. It's it's crazy. There are models who've, who've had their entire careers, careers. come and go since the beginning yeah. of that show. They, they, they came in, aged out, and and, and, yeah. and now can no longer be models because they were... Uh, yeah. it's just, that's just absolutely nuts to me. Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer's um, ad- adaptation into uh, for television of the, I think, 2013, 12, 13, something like that, film... Uh, Bong Joon-ho film. Bong Joon-ho film. Look, I, that film, uh, I love, you're, you're a very popular film. People love that movie. I was not I was not that big of a fan of the movie. I get I get it. This train of frozen earth, this, this, this frozen sort of wasteland, there's this train, uh, this, mm. this miles-long train perpetually circling. And, uh, and over the course of many years, a class, a society has broken into different spheres that occupy different sort of sections of the train. And, and uh, yeah, that's, it's all lovely and very Russian- <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, and uh, and and all that, but you know, it's it's cool. But you know what? It's the same thing, sort of over and over and over and over again. Though, yeah, it's the way it played yeah. for me. May works a little bit for a movie, I suppose. But even in the movie, it sort of became repetitive. Um, yeah, a little bit. You people fighting from one car to the next, and all that kind of stuff. But whatever. Uh, David digs uh, in this uh, in this series. I know it's coming back. For another season, so Snowpiercer, uh, yeah, one. and 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 Jennifer Connelly is fine as the heavy. Yeah. You know, it's nice to see her take that twist. Uh, it, it's well done, but I, I do think they've got a they've got a a certain point. You got to get them off the train. Yeah, I know that's the yeah. gimmick. That's <laughs> the know. gimmick. But but at a certain point, you know, it's like uh, Star Trek had to take a shore leave once in a while. You, <laughs> you, you know, yeah, you, you gotta gotta give me something else uh, when it comes down to it. Uh, we also have some um, for the uh, for the Ultraman fans among you. We got some more Ultraman titles here. Uh, we've got uh, Ultra Q, the Ultraman Complete series. We've got uh, Ultraman RB, the movie. Select the Crystal of Bond. I you know it. I lose track. These are these are Ultraman who now are suddenly suddenly looking like Power Rangers enemies <laughs> more than they look like Ultraman. Um, and then we also have the uh, the uh, Ultraman RB, the series and the movie in a combo pack. Uh, all of this stuff is much more relatively recent Ultraman, except Ultra Q. Ultra Q is is one of the older series. But um, look, it's it's just it's become such a giant culture. Ultraman remains such a huge and popular thing. I'm I'm just waiting for this to kind of blow up on Netflix or something like that, and you know, an American produced Ultraman thing. Nonetheless. That's all out there. We uh, the the Ultraman universe continues to uh, to pour out left and right, courtesy of the very very fine and lovely people at Mill Creek. Yeah, uh, Doom Patrol. Uh, there are a lot of big fans of the Doom Patrol uh, uh, business out there. Uh, you, you know, look, it, this is this is this is this is this was kind of fun, I suppose, uh, as it hit all the sort of iconic 
uh, notes uh, um, uh, of the whole sort of Doom Patrol, Doom Doom Patrol story. There, fun. Uh, you get to see Brendan Fraser doing something interesting, playing Cliff Steele, Timothy Dalton uh, roaming around this. You know, so so interesting. The sort of Doom Patrol. It's not as dark as say like the boys. You know, the, the boys over on. Uh, uh, is which is really dark. Doom Patrol's not quite that dark, but it, but it's dark-ish uh, as these things sort of go. Uh, Doom Doom Patrol. So you got Cyborg. You got uh, all the sort of uh, interest, uh, all the sort of characters to populate this stuff. Not a big fan of the Doom Patrol stuff. It's part of the DC. Uh, is it a part of the DC extended universe? Their way, I think it is part of the DC universe. If I'm not, I mistaken. believe so. Uh, I believe so. Yeah, but you know, yeah. part, whatever. You, you got to kind of be into it. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, I, I, I lose, I lose track of what's part of the extended and what isn't part of the extended. Um, it just, it's a mess. We can have that conversation another time. We about <laughs> well, we just we came up with that four, that four hour, uh, you know, which, 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 by the way, I did a, I did the longest review I've ever written on, oh, on that. Go it, we, it, gotta go read it. Go to, go to cindygods.com and read my, my 4,000 word review on, on, uh, the Snyder cut. I, uh, I'm eating crow and I'm, I'm taking Zack Snyder's side on this after my rant 10 years ago with, with Mark on stupid for movies. Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, I think I actually think quite a bit of, of this cut and I hope they, they can somehow leverage DC to finish the, it's a funny thing because look, I, I agree with you completely. I talked about it on the radio, uh, much far and away, far and away better film. Yeah. Uh, it, it didn't need to be two hours longer to be better. And I still have to say that despite the fact that it's a better film, it's still, you know, this sort of Zack Snyder, he saw the CGI laden big battle secret. And, and that stuff is, is diminishing to me. Um, it is. So it's a better bad movie, but it's, you know. <laughs> That's an interesting way of putting it. Um, we also have a giant box set, Rowan and Martin's Laugh In, the complete series, all six seasons on 37 DVDs, 140 episodes. This is too often re- referred to as the story as the uh, the series that killed Star Trek, which I kind of there's more to it. It's a little more complicated, um, but it, it, in some respects, it, that sort of is its legacy. Uh, nonetheless, Rowan and Martin uh, were like historic figures. This is sort of the first great American sketch comedy yeah. show. And it's still one of the all-time great sketch comedy shows, especially considering all the people who came out of this show. Um, Henry Gibson, uh, yeah. whose son Jimmy, I, I, I knew growing up. Um, I oh, mean, don't Hawn. get me started on Billy Hahn and Teresa Graves. And, oh, my gosh. And, and just all that. That's one of the things that I loved about it. It was just a sort of really melange of folks. And, of course, every week. Lily they Tomlin. Lily Tomlin, Tomlin, the great Lily Tomlin with those uh, those central characters that she did. Yeah. Uh, Luann and all that stuff. I, I, loved, I loved the, uh, you know, not so much guest hosts, but the guest stars that just, yeah. I mean, and, and I'm dude, I, I mean, really big, 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 big names would pop up. Oh, huge. On, on, on and that let's, show. And let's be serious. If we're going to trace the beginning of the end of the line between politics and entertainment, it happened on Laugh-In when Richard Nixon said, sock it to me. That was it. With the two fingers. That was the beginning With of the, the end. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to know, if you want to know what gets us to Bill Clinton playing saxophone on the Tonight Show, it begins with Richard Nixon on Laugh-In saying sock it to me. That's the beginning. Yeah. So anyway, um, Rick and Morty. Franklin, Rick and Morty. Go for it. Yeah. Well, I was going to make. 
I was going to make quick mention of Franklin and Bash, uh, oh, yeah. Franklin Bash. in a complete series, which is out from Mill Creek in a complete series, all 40 episodes, four seasons. I was shocked that this had run that long. Uh, not a great show, but, you know, Breck and Meyer and uh, Mark Paul Gosler are, are, are a perfectly good team. It's a it's a it's a very decent and over uh, underrated um legal series i think uh filled up four seasons uh with some pretty pretty good episodes now and again it's I, i'd say it's about a 50 50 show but uh you know it's it's quite affordable and it's not easily found on streaming so mill creek has given us the complete series there and that's back when they had uh those long seasons that was those long seasons those, yeah. those 22 22 episode seasons yeah uh, yeah uh, rick and morty is what i was going to talk about seasons one through four and rick and morty was always something that i would you know i would dip into it you see you know grandfather wandering around super science with his goofy kids animation. Uh, and, you know, I, I would always appreciate Rick and Morty. I'd, when, I, when I would tune into a Rick and Morty, they would always be very clever and very funny and very wry, a little cynical for my taste, just generally speaking, yeah. you know. And uh, and then I would uh, just sort of drift away from Rick and Morty. I, I, and it, I don't know. Um, it, it's been four seasons here again. And sometimes I'm a little surprised that, that a joke that is essentially just the one joke, you know, uh, can, can, can sustain something for as long as some of these things sustain. Rick and Morty is really just the one joke. Um, and, uh, you know, you take that one joke and, you know, and you play it out however you want to play it out, but it really is always a, just the one joke. It's a pretty good joke. Though. It's a good joke. <laughs> it's, it's a good joke. Um, let's see what else we got here. Um, here, how about Harley Quinn? Uh, mm-hmm. Let's go a little animated as long back, back on to DC. Complete first and second seasons of uh, of Harley Quinn, who, who you know the the Joker's girlfriend is how we're always going to refer to her. Kaylee Cuoco does the uh, the voice here. Um, this is a perfectly fine show. Uh, I mean, I like I like the Margot Robbie take a little bit better in the movies, Birds of Prey and and Suicide Squad. But um, if that kind of gets you into it, then you can you can watch this. This is not for kids, by the way. This no. is, uh, this is a kind of a nasty Harley Quinn animated show for, for nasty old, dirty old men uh, who like to sort of ogle animated characters with sex appeal. It's a little bit twisted, but everything about <laughs> Harley Quinn is twisted. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, there's some, there's some really, really fun uh, Batman universe lore in here as well with, uh, you know, uh, Poison Ivy and Penguin and Mr. Freeze. So, um if you if you if you're big on the whole Batman world, you'll probably get a kick out of a complete first and second seasons of Harley Quinn on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Sam uh, was this little sitcom from 2019 that I actually rather enjoyed. Um, uh, you know, this is the complete series uh, with Nina Dobrev and Tone Bell and Cheryl De- Lee Ralph, the great Cheryl Lee Ralph, and the great uh, Gary Gary Cole, who's made who's made a real career. You know, Gary came along I don't know, 10, 15, 20 yeah. years ago, and he, he was in that. Uh, um, they played George Custer in Shining Star, and then uh, then he did that great uh, 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 that, that great movie Office Space. Uh, where he did oh, sort, of, so the, the sort of icon yeah. character, and you know, and all this kind of stuff. I think he played. I think he played uh, the dad in a couple of Brady Bunch movies. You know, the the yep, Robert Reed. Sure did. And he just started to carve himself out as this just ridiculously funny sort of uh, uh, character lead actor. Uh, and now he pops up on, uh, oh, it's one of the issues, not blackish, but maybe mixed dish or next dish or whatever the issues. He's one of the, uh, the issues that he, as this dad. Uh, and, uh, and he's absolutely hysterical. He's really, really funny uh, in this, in this kind of cute sitcom. Sitcoms, the sitcom is about this uh, young girl 
uh, coming of age, she moves in with her big sister and her big sister's boyfriend or fiance. And it's cute. And I liked it quite a lot. <laughs> it's just funny. Um, like, it's the old actors doing the funniest in these shows. They make these shows with these young, attractive people in tone, and tone, and they—they're all they're young and attractive. But you watch the show, and the people who are going to crack you up are Shirley Ralph and Gary Cole. <laughs> you know, and Brian's isn't that funny? That—that's what I'm like. The show needs to be about it, the old people, but, but whatever. It never <laughs> fails. So got some uh, got some more t- got some more complete uh, series here that I'll make quick mention of um, the complete series of Tropical Heat. Uh, this thing, I, I think I was only ever aware of because the time that I would watch these shows, it was never very tropical. It was usually like 1130 at night and it was showing up on some obscure cable channel. <laughs> um, so, you know, it was a nice way to make the make the, the night of, you know, I'm trying to sort of hang on for a few more hours and get something done at night. Um, yeah, this is like uh, a, a a DEA cop show that thinks that it's Magnum PI. It's not really, um, but but it, it tries hard and uh, it's got its moments. Uh, Tropical Heat, the complete series from Mill Creek, um, and then we have the Amy Schumer show Inside Amy Schumer from Comedy yeah. Central, the complete I just, series. I tried, um, I just couldn't get into it. You know what it is? It's kind of like Chappelle's show. If Dave Chappelle were a an insecure and slightly overweight white woman, <laughs> what you think and not a, and not a, and not as funny and not as funny, um, but it's sort of what she was going for. You know what I mean? She was yeah. sort of looking at Chappelle's show and saying, "I can do that." And Amy, I love you to death, but but you can't really do that. No. Like I've been watching, I've been watching some Chappelle show lately on uh, HBO Max. And that stuff is just brilliant. It's just brilliant. It's just amazing. And part of the brilliance of the stuff on it is that Chappelle understood what nobody else in the sketch comedy world has understood since Monty Python. Sometimes less is more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you know, like it's what um, it's what Eric Idle said once about Saturday Night Live. And he even predicted, he said, I'm probably never going to be asked back to guest host after I say this. He said, but, you know. Um, the, uh, what does, um, uh, what does life have in common with a Saturday night live sketch? And, uh, you know, everyone says, well, I don't know. And he says, life eventually ends. <laughs> uh, or how do they differ? How do they differ? Yeah. Write, write four more sketches and cut every one of these in half. Uh, here's another one complete series Betty White's pet set I know you probably never knew this show existed I didn't I I, I but this in 1971 uh, Betty White actually had a, a weekly program called Betty White's pet set where which was all about animals mm. and this was a you know she she and her then husband Alan Ludden who was you know a game show host at the time they would just have their friends come on the show with their dogs and it was weird <laughs> it's really weird no it's idea. a very it's a very disturbing show to watch it's just so bizarre it's like it's like the it's like a, a satire of public television I, except it has Betty White in it it's the weird and celebrity guests it's the strangest thing in the world um uh, anyway there were 39 episodes 39 episodes 
39 episodes, dude. Carol Burnett, Doris Day, Peter Marshall, Vincent Price, Paul Lynn, Dennis Weaver, um, Jim Neighbors, Rod Serling. I mean, it's unbelievable. Artie Johnson. It's incredible who shows up with their freaking pets. It's a weird show. It's a very strange and disturbing show. Betty White's Pet Set, the complete series. 39 episodes of Betty White and her friends and their dogs and animals and cats and whatnot. It's very disturbing. It's wild. It's strange. Uh, let's see what else. As long as we're on Betty, let me make a quick mention of Dirty John uh, and, uh, and and Betty. Uh, the Betty Broderick story. It has nothing to do with Betty White. I just <laughs> figure, why the hell not? Uh, Amanda Pete and uh, Christian Slater. Um, the uh, I, I this is allegedly a true crime thing. I never watched it at the time. It is out from Universal. I cannot vouch for it. All I can say is I really, really like Amanda Pete, and I and I do like Christian Slater, who was a fun interview the one time I interviewed him. Yeah. But uh, I, I cannot vouch for this. But as long as it has the word Betty in it, I'm going to throw it into mention with the, along with the Betty White thing. <laughs> got that out of the way. There we go. Next. What else we got? Uh, Happy Together is a, a series a series from from 2020 this past this past season. Damon Wayans Jr. and, 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 and Damon Wayans Jr. That's just so weird to me <laughs> to, to, to be talking about. And, and I, if, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, that kid has a kid who's so, uh, you know these deep into the Wayans. We're like two two or three generations into Wayans. Anyway, oh my gosh. it's a cute series uh, uh, that, that that people might want to check out. About a young married couple, uh, uh, so you know it, it's it, with a, with this guy that moves into their spare bedroom. This this like hip hop musician guy, da- Damon <laughs> Wayans. It's lovely, but Damon, Damon Wayans Jr. For God's sakes, Damon Wayans Jr. By the way, is very funny in uh, Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. Oh yeah, he has a, he he has a very very funny part in that. He's sort of the. Um, not to give anything away, but he's like the the fallback master spy who's really pretty terrible at what he does. Like he's the guy they call like he's the guy that they call in. It's like, okay, this is all going south. We gotta call in, you know, the guy, the man, the top dog, and he's the one they call in. And, and he's he's completely inept at absolutely everything he does. And every time he makes a mistake and someone calls him out on it, he under his breath he goes, Damn it! <laughs> and it becomes and becomes this really funny running joke. By like the fifth time, you you hear him go, "Damn it!" It you just your 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 sides are splitting. So it's very funny. Um, last tango in Halifax. <sighs> oh yeah. Uh, season four of this damn thing, this BBC thing, with again. Older actors, much more interesting when they get older. Uh, Sarah Lancashire and Reed, Nicola Walker and Derek Jacoby, the amazing Derek Jacoby, who just doesn't stop working. Um, but I mean, you know, it's it's uh, it's it. This is this is what they do on BBC. They just grab these these great people and they throw them together. And, um, you know, in, in this it, and it's basically just the relationships of older people. And um, we're into season four now. And it's it's just it's like a warm coat. You know, the, <laughs> you're, you're accustomed to these characters and they're they're thoroughly in, endearing. And uh, the nice thing here is that it, it, it just it doesn't try to be anything that it, it doesn't deserve to be. It's exactly what you expect. Just mm-hmm. watch the actors act and you'll have a good time. 
Mm. Riviera is uh, season one from this 2017 series um, uh, from Neil Jordan, the Neil Jordan television series with Julia Stiles and Lena Lena Olin. And it's, it was very moody series uh, that I that I rather enjoyed. It's kind of beautiful. Uh, the way it's sort of shot is about you know this young woman. She marries this bill, billionaire who immediately gets killed, and she finds out that the billions of dollars uh, that he and his family uh, the, the have comes from all kinds of dastardly things that they are doing, uh, and that she is on a hit list too. And so you know it's 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 uh, it's, it's it's really sort of interesting thing. I, most interesting because it comes from Neil Jordan, and Neil Jordan always had a sort of funky uh, sideways sort of dynamic to his stuff, crying game, uh, in dreams, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so this, this sort of lives in that in that sort of Neil Jordan zone. Besides that, Lena Olin. we got to love some Lena Olin and some Julia Stiles. Oh, I love Lena Olin. Mm. Um, uh, let's see. I'm going to throw that off to a... Uh, we're not going to cover that a different time. Um, uh, the Adventures of Modern Art is a six-part series. That was uh, that comes from Icarus, and uh, I am not a gigantic modern art fan, but I got to be honest, this is um, so really interestingly done. Um, this is an animated documentary series, mm-hmm. which which uses the animation to sort of enhance your appreciation of the art in question. And it really, really works. It's quite interesting, and it's very smart, and it's really, really, uh, really, very, very good. And it it kind of goes through all these different figures that, like, you know, Picasso, I appreciate, not a big fan. Um, Gertrude Stein, I've learned to appreciate. My daughter had a sequence on on Gertrude Stein when she was in kindergarten, and, you know, that helped me understand it a little better. Dolly. Mm-hmm. Okay, mix Cocteau, huge fan, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, it goes through all the, you know, I, I – I have opinions about all these people, but I certainly didn't develop a grander appreciation till watching the way this ties it all together in this animated form. It's a really interesting series. Uh, the Adventures of Modern Art from Icarus, two discs, animated series. Wicked. Um, let's see. How, I'm all out of TV let's, over let's here. Kind of, uh, got more. I've got a, I got a couple uh, that we should just kind of drop. Uh, real quickly here. There is um, also from BBC Red Dwarf Ten. Um, this is the uh, the tenth season of Red Dwarf, which is uh, being put out again on DVD. Um, you know, one of the all time great comedy series, uh, yeah. comedy science fiction series. I think it ages well. Uh, this has a, a few decent extras on it, so that's just sort of letting people know Red Dwarf has been out previously. It is out again. And then uh, MTV's Wonder Showsen uh, uh, is now out in a complete series. I never quite got this. I know it's, you know, they, they put a warning label on here, not for kids, even though it looks cute. Don't let your children watch this. And that's good advice. Um, it's a really freaky puppet show. It's just, <laughs> it's a little bit, it's a little bit too out there. It's like Sid and Marty Croft looked at this and just said, it's time we lay off the stuff. We gotta, we got we gotta cut our intake. Um, that's way too psychedelic for us, and it sort of is. But um, a lot of people find this show insanely funny. I don't find it that funny, but I understand why others do. So anyway, it is officially out and uh, in the marketplace. Um, Tim, let's do. I want to. I want to get into the 4K right now because okay. we got some giveaways. Yeah, take it. Take it away. And and first off, uh, we're gonna do a big uh, a big uh, giveaway for Easter. So get your get your your. Uh, this may not get to you until after Easter. 
Um, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna get this show up over the weekend. Please try to get us your um, your your requests on this by the thirty first. It's only a few days, so we're gonna be giving away two copies of the four K. Um, Ten Commandments. Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments now out from Paramount on 4K. We're going to be giving away two of those. So the 31st is the deadline. It's less than a week. Uh, but we'd like to try to at least, you know, have Paramount get something to you so you can enjoy it for Passover and Easter. And because, uh, it, you know, it's a big thing. Christians and Jews love mm-hmm. the Ten Commandments for, for this time of year. And then also on Blu-ray, The Greatest Show on Earth, another Cecil B. DeMille classic, the one that won him Best Picture but not Best Director. That's out only on Blu-ray. So um, The Greatest Show on Earth, which, by the way, is considered one of the worst all-time Best Picture winners. I happen to disagree. I mm. think it's fun. Charlton Heston in, in the circus. And I think, there's a, I think there's a lot going on there. So I think Greatest Show on Earth is, is really an underrated Cecil B. DeMille film. It's the one that won Best Picture. And then, of course, uh, Ten Commandments, which is still one of the most successful films of all time time amazing to look at on 4k it will take your breath it will take your breath away we're giving away two of each send us an email to gods at digigods.com or gods at cinegods.com name and address in the body of the email and in the subject line put show if you want to be in the running for greatest show on earth and put um 10 t-e-n to be in for the Ten Commandments. Show and ten. Show and ten. That's what goes in the subject line for each of those. And you can certainly enter for both. And uh, we will pick two very lucky people for each of those. To uh, If you win one, you're not going to win the other. So just know that. Uh, and we'll pick uh, two very lucky people for each one. Greatest Show on Earth and the Ten Commandments, courtesy of our good friends at Paramount. Um, let's talk about uh, News of the World, Tim. Yeah. Also on 4K, yeah. News of the World. Well, we, we were talking uh, about it earlier. Yeah, as, as we said, you know, Paul Greengrass, uh, Tom Hanks uh, doing what is effectively a much more politically correct John Ford film. Um, yeah. uh, um, with these sort of uh, Greengrassian uh, grace notes, um, uh, the, 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 the sort of things that mark a Greengrass film. I think I think it's fair to say that, that there's a style that he's developed uh, yeah, through through uh, uh, the the, um, uh, the United ninety three uh, and, uh, yeah. and and uh, yeah. some of those born films and 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 whatnot uh, that, uh, that that is an imprint on things, and you can see it in this film, News of the World. Um, uh, performance from Tom Hanks that I thought was just really, really wonderful. This sort of gruff uh, Confederate uh, uh, captain uh, who's roaming around the world with newspapers, no, the, the the country with newspaper, uh, newspapers, yeah. reading the news of the world. He has this little girl uh, that he comes across uh, uh, who he uh, takes up with, and, and he's trying to get her uh, back to her people, get her to her people. All there are all kinds of obstacles, sort of old west obstacles thrown up in front of him. Uh, but uh, he will just like John Wayne in uh, what the Searchers, I think. Yeah, will not be um, uh, uh, dissuaded from his from his task. Uh, his task happens to be noble, and that's what I really love about this movie. It's because it's based on a contemporary uh, uh, novel, and, and and of course all those sort of things that that some of those movies. Uh, kind of got wrong 50, 60 years ago in terms of the sort of, you know, temperament that we have about these things now. This yeah. Western is able to sort of like straighten out and get right. Uh, but, but nevertheless, not make a sort of didactic or preachy sort of movie about anything in particular other than, than a guy who's, who's trying to do the right thing and, uh, and leave it set in the world that it actually, uh, lives in. So good movie. I think. 
And and I want to say too, I agree with all that. And and uh, Helena Zengel, who is a a ten year old. Well, I think she's older. I think she's like. 14 or something, but I play, think she plays 10 here. A uh, young German actress mm. plays a 10-year-old girl who has been raised, you know, family killed and she was sort of adopted into the into the Kiowa tribe. And she's been largely raised by the Kiowa and and now is is to be returned to her German immigrant family. And, and for those who don't know, and I didn't know, there were a lot of Germans in Texas at the time. Like a huge mm. part of Texas was settled by German immigrants. And um, so this is about a three-way culture clash. It's about, you know, American culture, immigrant German culture, and Native American culture. And this girl who is caught between all three and, and uh, you know, the only lifeline she really has is the Tom Hanks character who has his own baggage. I think there are so many great Western tropes that are reinvented here. Mm. Uh, I think it's a beautiful film. I yeah. think it's a really beautiful and touching film and one of my favorite films of the year, for sure. Yeah, well, uh, it is on four- like we said, that it's not a, a part. I mean, it's really that good for, for it not to be a part of this Academy Award conversation. It's almost it, weird. It's, it is weird and and you know it's going to stand the test of time it is uh, it is 4k freaking gorgeous i mean it really is this is just uh uh tom hanks basically playing a part that you would have expected jimmy stewart to play 60 years ago mm. uh really just beautifully beautifully done and um it, the 4k is some of the best that i've seen in quite some time really really nice um we also have on the 4k front godzilla <laughs> this is the yeah on the, the, eve, the question on the eve of uh godzilla versus godzilla king kong. Kong. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, king kong yeah king kong yeah so this is this is this is this is the um more recent godzilla not the uh the uh roland emmerich one this is the one that rebooted this whole current godzilla trend over at uh uh, universe. It was part Warner, of the whole Warner, Warner Brothers. Brothers. Yeah, that, Warner Brothers is trying to get the Godzilla thing, you know, out of the blocks and, and make a make a franchise out of it again. I don't know that that's entirely going to work. We'll see how, how versus King Kong goes. Mm. But um, this one is, I, I you know, I, I didn't like it at the time. It's kind of... I. I watched it again. I'm like, okay, I sort of get what they're going for. I, I'm still not hugely a fan, but when I'm watching it at home and I don't feel like I'm wasting time in a theater, it kind of feels better. <laughs> I hate to be the guy to admit that, but anyway, it is, it is very nice 4k and, um, you know, I'll cut it some slack. We also have Mila Jovovich and monster hunter on 4k, mm. Uh, as, as heaven help me, I don't know what the point of this is. You and I are still big fans of rain of fire. Oh Yeah. And while I appreciate the uh, the the feminist angle of putting Mila Jovovich uh, in there as a monster killer, I'm going to take Rain of Fire any day. Mm-hmm. I I think uh, Christian Bale and Matt and Matt McConaughey uh, did a better job of it, but nonetheless, 4K Mila Jovovich Monster Hunter. And then lastly, let's spend a second on this. We got a Steelbook 4K release of Gattaca, oh. the Andrew Nichol film, which I just still think the world of, starring Ethan Hawke. Uh, this movie still for me is one of the best sci-fi films of the last thirty years. I Absolutely, think. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I mean, you know, are you are you as much of a fan as oh, I? Oh, big big fan. Beautifully stylish. Uh, this film, uh, you know, you, 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 with um, you know your tones of um, Al, Aldous Huxley in there, and uh, it, but, but you know, it's just so so modern. Yeah, big fan of Gattaca. 
love this film. Anyway, it's a steel book. It uh, includes the Blu-ray and digital code uh, for movies anywhere and the uh, the 4K of the film. Andrew Nichol, I think, uh, one of the most interesting and underrated filmmakers. He could have been Christopher Nolan. He should have been Christopher Nolan. Uh, I don't know why he isn't, but Andrew Nichol still out there, still in the mix. Um, I think due for a huge comeback, but this is definitely one of his uh, very best. He wrote and directed it. And, you know, Ethan Hawke plays a guy who is uh, in, a, in, a, in a dystopian future where genetic perfection matters he is um genetically imperfect but masquerading as someone who is genetically perfect mm. and uh this is also the film that kind of broke jude law a little bit alan arkin in a supporting part mm. uma thurman uh met ethan hawk on this film i believe this is uh where they where they became a couple and um produced by danny devito and his partners stacy Schur and michael Schamberg. And a great score by Michael Michael Nyman. This is really one of the one of the coolest movies of the '90s, uh, a late '90s entry, and I think uh, you can go no wrong. It's a wonderful, wonderful steelbook, 4K for Gattaca. Yeah, yeah. His next uh, movie was uh, Truman Show, so there you go. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Truman Show, uh, directed by uh, Peter Weir, yeah, and written by Andrew Nichol. Yeah. Andrew Nichol wrote it. Yeah. Uh, criteria. Let me hit a, a few criterions here, real, real fast too. Celine and Julie go boating by Jacques Rivette, one of the great pioneers of the French New Wave. This is from 1974, kind of a late-ish uh, Jacques Rivette movie. Um, you know, very, very typical French film of the period. Uh, very imaginative and just sort of a sort of a, a, a an, en- an enchanting light character piece that um, is a little bit. Like touches melodrama, touches of um, fantasy. It's a it's a really unusual movie. A little bit tough to sort of pigeonhole, but um, it is really really delightful to watch. It's very imaginative. It's just typically Jacques Rivette, and I, I it's it's a really good film to watch. Um, sometimes, sometimes. I'm sorry. Oh, and then uh, Tuki Buki uh, by Jibril Jap Got- Mombeti. Uh, Tuki Buki from 1973, one of the, um, one of the, the great sort of, uh, non-Western foreign films of that period. This is, uh, a, a look at Senegal and it's, uh, sort of, you know, right after Senegal became an independent country and left the French, um, colonial world and, and how, uh, how Senegalese culture was sort of evolving and independence and an independent uh, identity was evolving at the time. Um, really a beautiful film, a very, very smart and sensitive film, great performances by primarily non-actors. Mm. And this is what put, uh, Mambeti on the, on the map as a, as a, as a director. Also, I believe the only film ever shot in the Wolof language, oh. which is native to Senegal, you know, mostly Senegal, Senegalese will speak French. French That's yeah. sort of the official language, the colonial language, but this is in Wolof. So uh, really, really a, a great film there. And then also finally here on the criterion front, Let's talk about what everybody's been walk, uh, waiting for forever. The world of Wong Kar Wai. Oh, wow. Um, Wong Kar Wai is certainly one of the most significant stylists of our uh, of the last 50 years. The let's be let's be clear. Not every Wong Kar Wai movie is here. Uh, Ashes of Time exists in no form whatsoever on this set. So stop asking me about it. Everyone <laughs> keeps asking me. Is Ashes of Time there? No, not the original and not the Redux. Neither Ashes of Time cut is here. You will be sorely disappointed. There is no Ashes of Time. But what is here is the following. 
uh, as tears go by from 1988, uh, Days of Being Wild from oh, 1990, Chunking Express 1994, the film that really put him on the map here when Miramax went to town with it, Fallen Angels, the follow-up from 95, Happy Together from 97, which is what I saw at Cannes, and I interviewed him there, uh, In the Mood for Love, the amazing In the Mood for Love yeah. from 2000, which looks so freaking good, it's unbelievable. And then that film's kind of quasi-sequel-ish, from two, uh, 2004, 2046. Um, again, there are other cuts to some of these films, especially 2046, that are not necessarily here. So uh, I don't want anybody thinking this is complete Wong Kar Wai. There is at some point in the future a complete Wong Kar Wai 4K box set that will include The Master and Ashes of Time and all the other stuff that's not included here. But for the time being... This is the best you're going to do, mm. and the films look amazing, and they are beautiful, and uh, there are, you know, uh, it, it, there's a there's a, a brand new pr- uh, program on here where a whole bunch of people have submitted questions to Wong Kar Wai, including Chloe Zhao and Sofia Coppola, and it's really really quite fun. Lots of featurettes, tons of extras, interviews. Christopher Doyle, you know, who has that horrible on again, off again relationship with uh, Wong Kar Wai. Yeah. Um, one of the great cinematographers of all time. He's interviewed here. I mean, it's you got to own it, even though it's not complete. You got to own it. It is a magnificent set and uh, it'll it'll be one of the most treasured things in your Blu-ray uh, shelf. The world of Wong Kar Wai. So, uh, Tim, we've got uh, maybe about 10 minutes left. Anything anything uh, that you feel compelled that we should uh, heavily feature right now? Well, I was looking over at what are these in the, under the documentaries. I see that Ruth uh, uh, Bader Ginsburg document. Thing. Oh, yeah, Ruth, yeah, yeah. Justice Ginsburg in her own words. Yeah, I guess we lose her just last year. I guess last year we lost Ruth. I guess yeah. uh, something like that. Anyway, anyway, it's 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 a fascinating film. Uh, very much, uh, quite literally, in her own, own words, there's a whole lot of Ruth in this film over the course of her life. Certainly uh, over the course of her. Uh, time as a Supreme Court justice. Um, uh, there have been a few films about Ruth, including that uh, narrative film on the uh, basis of sex uh, that I, I guess came out right before she passed, if not right after. Uh, that yeah. altogether sort of aggregate her existence as this extremely important figure. Funny, uh, you know, of course, Sandra Day O'Connor, the first woman Supreme Court justice uh, who passed away, I guess, I guess a couple of few years ago. Um, and, and yeah. you know, a notable figure and obviously a first in the in those terms. Again, you know, we, we mark these things first, this first, that first woman. So Ruth Bader Ginsburg, not the first female justice on the Supreme Court. Um, uh, yet somehow, um, um, her as, as a figure, uh, just it seems to have to resonate uh, as much yeah. as any Supreme Court justice has ever resonated uh, since, I guess, Thurgood Marshall. Well, and probably for the same reason, because uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Thurgood Marshall made their marks not as judges, but as attorneys. Yeah. They both argued cases that were landmark cases, and that is what sort of elevated them to their legal fame, whereas a lot of the other justices have always been judges. Yeah. They, they became judges very early. So, yes, it's it's. It, I think that's partly what she shares with, with Thurgood Marshall. As it happens, this is what's really weird about this week's doc. So we have Ruth, Justice Ginsburg, in her own words, which is from Virgil, and then a completely separate film 
released from completely different, different company, but it, it not in any way made as part of the series, but it is created equal. Clarence Thomas, mm. in his own words, they yeah. both use in, in his own words, in her own words, they both use the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the subheading on that. Anyway, um, this is actually also really, really good. And uh, irrespective, I know he's a politically really incendiary. Very figure interesting figure. I read, I read, I read his uh, biography. Very interesting but, figure. What an amazing life. Yeah. What a really amazing life. I mean, a, a guy who suffered unbelievable discrimination uh, growing up really came from uh, the, the as low as you can come from in, in life and had amazing mentor figures around him who who um, on whom he leaned to be able to sort of pull himself out of his his uh, his conditions and his situation in the segregated South. Um, you know, forget about politics, but still a, a remarkable figure from where he was to where he where he came. So that is from Breaking Glass. Mm. So from Virgil, we have uh, Ruth, Justice Ginsburg in her own words. And from Breaking Glass, created equal, Clarence Thomas in his own words. So fascinating that we get those kind of at the same time. Um, did you see Film Worker by chance? Yeah, the one the, the one about it's just a, such a fascinating story. Uh, Leon yeah. Patel, who 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 played Lloyd Lord uh, Lord Bullington. Yeah. And Kubrick's Barry Lyndon, a great yep. performance, a noted performance, a performance noted at the time. The, you yep. know, he was a young actor, obviously. And, uh, and, 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 and gave up that, that acting career to become like, you know, Stanley Kubrick's like, what exactly? Um, you know, uh, <laughs> his, 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 his sidekick, his, 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 his right hand man. Yeah. But, but um, you know, he, he never really had a position. Uh, so like a, a classic film position, the first AD or whatever, you know, associate producer. I, I know. I, I like that. So it's really, really, really fascinating story for a couple of decades. I, that's what he that's what he was. And he still he is still the 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 keeper of the flame, you know, along with with uh, Kubrick's brother in law. Um who you know uh, produced all of his stuff mm-hmm. uh but but uh, yeah it, it's really kind of amazing i leon so i met leon vitale when he was doing the tour on the on the first release of all the complete warner brothers dvd blu-ray stuff mm-hmm. uh the complete kubrick set and um really interesting guy i mean not not like a, a groupie or anything you know you, you you think wow you must have been some freak kind of to give up a movie career to become stanley kubrick's like permanent groupie but that's not it you know he this is just a guy who wanted to sort of bask in the in the shadow of genius and and found a different path in life. And you can't really judge people for, yeah. you know, following following a different path that way. Um, Vitaly, without Vitaly, frankly, Kubrick's legacy would not be the same. It would still be there. But Vitaly was very uh, central to protecting Kubrick from a lot of the studio meddling that might have uh, beset the releases of a lot of his films. So uh, there's a great Q and A on here um, and a trailer, and that is from Kino mm. Film Worker, Stanley Kubrick's unsung assistant, all about Leon Vitale. Yeah, really fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff. I know, I know, and I and I loved it too. But I'll, I'll let you talk about. It. I'll just open on it. You cannot kill David Arquette. Oh my gosh! Uh, which on, is really, really a great movie. I, you talked about it on Film Week back, uh, back oh. when, back, back when it first came out, and and, and I agree with you. It's a bizarre film uh, that goes uh, into the sort of machinations of David Arquette's life, which is a strange sort of existence. Uh, the whole David- Arquette family, really, really, but but I'll, but I'll let you lay out the movie. I 
I cannot do enough justice to this. This is one of the best films of, of 2020. And I would never have thought that I would say that about a movie called You Cannot Kill David Arquette. So here's the deal. The Arquette family is a very interesting family. For those who, who don't understand, the Richmond Arquette uh, is somebody that Tim and I worked with briefly on, a, on an independent film, mm. older brother. And, you know, there, there, are the, there, there, there were like five kids, right? One of whom passed away. Mm. Um, Alexis. And... Alexis passed away, very controversial figure, you know, um, uh, trans, came down. transgender, trans, it, what? but you know, like gay and then transgender and then not transgender and not gay. Like Alexis was very troubled and, um, you know, who and what Alexis was, uh, at death is still very much, uh, debated and, and controversial, but the 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 you know Arquettes are they come their second generation their dad was actually part of a you know a whole the, the the second city stage generation second city from Chicago and um you know was in sketch comedy groups with people that I know um like Richard Libertini was part of a sketch comedy mm-hmm. group here in L A with with um with him as well so the Arquettes all kind of grew up in that and they were part of a commune at one point and so it was a very counterculture upbringing for these kids. And so they, they're all a little bit unconventional. <laughs> you know, some of them are a little bit unstable. I'm being really, really kind here. Mm-hmm. And David is a troubled soul. We all know that, you know, he's, he's been somewhat self-destructive and he's, he's got, um, you know, self-destructive impulses. And it's been a problem for him in his relationships with, you know, with wives and with kids and everything else. So he's also obsessive about wrestling. And you think, but wrestling's fake. Like, why would you be obsessive with it? Because it's, even though it is staged and written, it is still something mythical to him. He, he finds the narrative quality of it really extraordinarily compelling. And he's serious about it. And while you watch this film, you start off cynically going, dude, you are out of your freaking mind. At a certain point, you become intoxicated by his passion for wrestling. And for those who don't know, David Arquette became a wrestler at a certain point. I did not want to like that. He wanted to, he wanted to become part of that world. And he, he won the, the WWE championship at a certain point in what was widely despised as a totally rigged deal. Like it was like people, fans of wrestling thought this is bogus. You've just ruined the whole game. And David has been haunted by that ever since. So a few years ago, he decided, I'm not going to be a joke anymore. I'm going back into wrestling for real. I'm going to train. I'm going to go down to these, to the wrestling circuits in the South where these, these amateurs do it for audiences of like 10 people in some nasty, dirty little backyard arena and for no money. And I'm going to train with these people and I'm going to get hard and I'm going to get cut and I'm going to do this for real. And at a certain point he goes to Mexico mm-hmm. and he's working, he's working with, you know, Mexican wrestlers who do, who do these routines in the middle of the intersection for, for tips from drivers while the light is red, they'll do a routine, the dry, and they'll then run around, collect some money from the drivers and then go stand and wait for the next red light to do another little wrestling routine. Like he does that <laughs> and all of this just to get completely hard and convincing. And, it's an it's an extraordinary movie. It's a metaphor for so many things about celebrity and life and and commitment. And it's just an unbelievable movie to watch. It really, really is. It is so so impressive. And there are so many surprises in this thing. Like there there just there are people you would never expect to show up. Like like um like Luke um from nine hundred two one zero. Oh, uh, uh, passed, yeah, away. passed away. Yeah, yeah. His his son his son is a wrestler. Yeah, a I had wrestler. no idea. 
And and so, I mean, yeah, it's amazing. It is just an amazing thing. This was at the South by Southwest Film Festival last year. It is so worth watching. You cannot kill David Arquette. I love this movie. One of the best documentaries of last year. One of the best films of last year. It is absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah. No, wow. You know, just just to wrap up, let me let me hit a few more Warner Archive uh, titles here. I got some musicals. I, I can't really get it. I mean, they're, they're, they're famous musicals. I'm not, you know, if you love musicals, you're going to love all of them. Here's what's late, new out from the Warner Archive collection on the musical front. These are all mostly MGM uh, Technicolor musicals, some Warner Brothers in here. But here's what you got. On Moonlight Bay with Doris Day and Gordon McRae. Absolutely charming. Can't go wrong with Doris Day. Blazing, beautiful Technicolor. Um, uh, Doris Day again in My Dream is Yours, which is just, it's bewitching. Doris is absolutely the freaking best. I love Doris. Um, yeah. My mother was an enormous, my mother, and also the pajama game, which is maybe one of Doris's oh. most famous, uh, right? The, I mean, the pajama game. Come on, give it up. Doris Day, just, you know, three beautiful Doris Day movies there. My mother was a huge fan of Mario Lanza. Uh, his great MGM musical is probably the great Caruso, also beautifully shot in Technicolor. Um, you know, not perfectly faithful to the life of Caruso, but who cares? Yeah. You know, Mario Lanza, amazing voice, wonderful figure. Um, Showboat. I mean, what's the best version of Showboat? Oh, I don't know. I mean, this is the this is the Arthur Freed produced version for for MGM. Um, it, it, it's a it's a rock solid, beautiful Technicolor film. Um, you know, you know, Catherine Grace and Howard Keel mm. and Gardner. Um. The black and white might be might be the better film. Uh, that one was recently released on uh, on on Criterion. Uh, we also have Damn Yankees with Gwen Verdon. Uh, Gwen famous now because of the uh, oh, Fosse yeah. Verdon uh, yeah. miniseries. So you can go back to Damn Yankees and uh, and Stanley Donnan's incredible direction and evaluate whether or not uh, you know just just how much better Gwen really is than we ever gave her credit for. Mm. And then lastly, uh, June Allison and Peter Lawford in the fantastic MGM musical Good News, which is just an absolute delight to watch as well. Um, June Allison, Peter Lawford never got enough credit for, for their careers, uh, especially in stuff like this. Charles Walters, fantastic, legendary director of musicals, really just directs the hell out of it. Um, I, I think this and Lily may be his best films. Mm. Anyway, anyway, good news. Really beautiful movie. So all of that also out from uh, the Warner Archive collection. Tim, that's it. That's it for this week. Um, Be sure and send us emails to godsdigigods.com and godsatcinegods.com with with 10 and uh, show in the uh in the subject line for uh greatest show on earth and uh the ten commandments 4k greatest show on earth is blu-ray ten commandments is 4k and we're going to send out two apiece to some very lucky people we're going to make that uh, we're going to make that decision on the 31st and we're going to let uh let paramount know on the morning of the first so we'll see if we can get that out to you in time for uh passover and um and easter Otherwise, we'll be back after Easter, possibly back after spring break. Mm. I think uh, we might we might be going out of town at some point in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. So, uh, Tim, are you uh, are you staying put? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm here. I'm in pretty 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 good stead here. I got uh, shot number two coming up. I don't mind telling folks. Um, good. Uh, coming up on uh, April first. Uh, funny, fun, funnily enough. Uh, so so uh, you know I'll be in good uh, all good condition by we get time we get to the. End of May, my mother's birthday pops up. So I think my next big travel will be back to St. Louis for my mother's birthday, where 
pretty much everybody in my family will be all vaccinated and, and able to do whatever the hell we please. Oh, fantastic. Well, good on you. Um, I, I think we'll be getting our, our second shots at some point relatively soon, too. Yeah. So uh, I think I think I think probably a week after you. So. All right, everybody, please stay safe. Looks like the world is getting a little bit back to normal again. And, uh, you know, let's let's just keep doing the right thing and uh, respect your neighbors. And we will see you next time. Picture yourself in a boat on a river with tangerine trees and marmalade skies. Somebody calls you. You answer quite slowly. A girl with kaleidoscope eyes. Cellophane flowers of yellow and green towering over your head. Look for the girl with the sun in her eyes. And she's gone! As you drift past the flowers that grow so incredibly high, newspaper taxis appear on the shore, waiting to take you away. Climb in the back.